When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Pitlane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie is here. It's time to recap Imola and talk about sprint racing and everything else that happened last weekend. But first, obviously, have to start with trivia. I didn't really remember too far in advance, but since Max Verstappen had an epic weekend in Imola, let's do some Max Verstappen trivia. What is Max Verstappen's favorite food? Like, uh, it doesn't have to be like steak, but like, uh, what country does his favorite food come from? I'm going to guess Italian. All right. One for one. But he has a weakness for Dutch food. Don't worry. One, uh... Fun fact, one time he had to Google his own name to get into a racetrack. That's not really a trivia question. I'm I'm literally doing this on the fly with a computer that just really does not want to load anything for me right now. Okay, Max Verstappen has a song named after him called Supermax. Who is the group that created Supermax? <laughs> You're going to stump me with that one. I have no idea. I know the song. I've heard it. Like, yeah. On it's all, it's stuff, obnoxious. I have no idea. It's the Pit Stop Boys. Marco Mars, Rob Tunin, and Euron Hilgenberg. <laughs> I'm going to make you pronounce those again at some point. I Listen, you know, the worst thing in racing is having to pronounce people's names and getting it wrong because you will be judged exponentially for the rest of your life. Yeah, totally. And I pronounce names wrong all the time. So I'm not you know, not off to a, a good start in whatever year it is right now. I like to think most of the time it's an honest mistake and that if someone's corrected, they, they won't mistakenly pronounce the thing again. So it's kind of ridiculous to judge someone based on that. I mean, it, it did take me, what, two years to get Santi Urudia's name correct? correct? Uh, yeah. So maybe a little past. But anyway... I'm going to give you an opinion. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss the race first, then we'll get to any, any news at, at the end. Or Let's start with the news first. I changed my mind. Let's, let's lead off with the heavy-hitting news. Okay, so there's not actually that much. I know. But <laughs> of the big items, I guess there's two or three. Um, the first one is that apparently the FIA and the teams are all in support of more sprint races next season, doubling the count to 10. I guess they were really happy about the way that 
the Imola sprint race went. But I guess the FIA has to investigate how it will affect its trackside operations and personnel before they can come to an agreement about that. So if there's a stall on actually agreeing to doubling the count of the sprint races based on just a consideration of financial concerns, it sounds like. I mean, I get that. And well, I guess we can kind of tie it into what I actually was going to talk about. I thought the sprint race this weekend was you know, the best sprint race so far in the what's this attempt number four for for F1. So it, it definitely was more more exciting. I think you know the newer cars being able to follow helped. The the weather was a little dicey all weekend, so that probably helped. And the you know like like we said last week, you're not going to be able to predict that Max and Lewis are going to be one two or two three on on the sprint race podium. So there's a little bit more intrigue. But I still don't really like it because it really didn't add any value to the weekend as a whole. Like, I thought the sprint it didn't, race was better than the real race. Like, honestly, I wasn't though. going into the race Sunday morning like, wow, you know, the order is so different because of the sprint race. Like, yeah, things change, obviously. You know, Pierre Gasly clearly does not like sprint races. But <laughs> but it did it did it really change all that much intrigue come Sunday? No. So I don't really see the big value in it. So while the sprint race kind of like in a bubble was good, a good, a good race. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we need more than three, especially if there are financial concerns with paying track workers for extra time, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I think it, it's when it boils down to it, it's an entertainment gimmick. And if F1 wants to go that way to basically, I guess, have a little bit more racing action, on the weekend for fans, even though they tend not to really consider the fans at trackside in terms F1 of... F1 doesn't care about fans. F1 only cares <laughs> about making money. Increasing value. Yeah, so I, I'm not really sure what the end goal is, but I, I think it's really just here's a little bit more racing to watch. We have a mini race on this weekend and then an additional race, but it also probably confuses the casual fans, so... It's not my favorite thing still, even after this weekend. Yeah, I mean, listen, in the moment it was fun, but you know, my dad called me Sunday morning and he was like, what was the point of the sprint race? Like, what was the actual point of the sprint race? I don't really have a good answer for that other than because they want to. Yeah. And I mean, that's fine. Like, I don't have to have a good answer for it to, to be successful, but I just, I just, I don't see it as all that interesting still. I'd be interested to see if they're basing any of this off of ratings, like if the ratings for the sprint race were any higher than just an average qualifying session. I mean, if it is, then maybe that's what they're up to. Okay, fair. Next news item to talk about is that the FIA has revealed its preliminary objectives for F1's 2026 chassis regulations, which are going to be introduced alongside the next generation power unit. Yeah. And so they set out these six targets. And so I'm just going to read these off to you real quick, and then we'll discuss them. 
The first one is they want to significantly reduce drag to improve sustainability and efficiency and complement the power unit characteristics. They want to maintain and improve on recent lessons learned about close racing and cars being able to follow each other. They want to reduce car dimensions, which I'm giving that a major two thumbs up. Mm -hmm. They also want to reduce or contain car mass, which another major thumbs up. Number five is sustainability. They want to continue the path towards the standardization or simplification of strategically selected components for cost-cutting purposes. So I think that means spec components, basically. And then expand the usage of sustainable materials or technologies and focus on recyclability. And then the last one is continued innovation in terms of car safety, moving towards active and connected safety systems. I mean... As a whole, all right, that's cool. It definitely is the right way to go. Well, we'll 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 see when we get there. We've got a long time to get there. Things might change. Think there there might have to be a compromise on some, you know, one of those to, you know, because of financial reasons or whatever. But I think they're approaching it the right way. Doesn't sound like they're going the full drive to survive root in terms of the new car i don't know exactly what that means to be totally honest with you but they're not like just listening to the fans you know <laughs> the cars would be see-through so you can see everything the driver's <laughs> doing in the engine or something if uh, yeah if it was the full drive to survive route the radio messages would be broadcast like to your directly to your cell phone while you sit on your couch and watch the race so you can listen to Lewis try to overtake Pierre Gasly for 35 laps and and fans could DM the yeah. race director. Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's his name? Niels Wittick. Niels, Niels, this isn't I don't like this. I don't like this. Exactly. Man, when we record in the morning, I'm real cranky. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun. We we have to start switching up our recording time for this. <laughs> the last news item I want to get to is just a quote that we saw from Jacques Villeneuve over the weekend. Apparently he has a column for a Dutch Formula One news site and he had some quotes about Lewis Hamilton asking if Hamilton will even be there in two or three years at Mercedes, he means, or if he'll even reach the end of the season. He He goes on to say, you can't see into someone's head you can be down and depressed, or you can be unable to deal with no longer winning. Then maybe it's time to decide life is better without racing. We've been surprised in the past. It's happened that champions have sometimes just had enough. He also said that having a megastar in the team such as Hamilton could prove to be a headache for Mercedes in that they're now, they need to learn how to lose. Basically, he's saying they drove everyone into the ground. Right. And if someone got closer, they just opened the throttle and they don't have that advantage anymore. And George Russell knows how to do the job of the underdog. He learned that at Williams, while Hamilton has always had something to fight for. So he's wondering how they'll be able to handle that dynamic within the team of George basically being used to fighting against everything. And Lewis basically, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, almost having no competition and being able to just dunk on everyone all the time and now having to go back to really fighting for it even though he's done that in his career we've seen that but he yeah. hasn't done it in a long time yeah it's i mean first off i 
think Lewis like already came out and said something like, yeah, I'm going to stay, whatever. Obviously things can change and you never know. Maybe the Mercedes car ends up getting worse. And I mean, that was almost a sneeze and I caught myself really struggling this week with sneezing on episodes, but you know, you you never, you never know. And I, I don't think anything Who's that quote from again? Jacques Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Okay, thank you. For some reason, I was thinking it was Joss Verstappen because I have Joss Verstappen up on my other monitor from the from the trivia questions. But yeah, I don't think anything he said is wrong. I don't. I think assume like saying like, oh, Hamilton probably won't survive the year, or maybe he won't survive the year is like a little unnecessary because that I don't think Lewis Hamilton is the type of person to just like quit on a team mid season or two thirds of the way through the year at all. But wondering, listen, if this car doesn't get better, if, if, you know, Mercedes has a a year or two or three where they struggle, like will Lewis want to stick around after winning so many championships? I wouldn't, he's got more money than I can ever imagine. And he can go, you know, do whatever he wants to do and be successful at it because he's a smart dude and he'll be just fine outside of racing, whether he wants to be involved in racing, fashion, music, whatever. Yeah. He'll be fine. So I, I, I don't think that part is off base the, the, this year part. Yeah. That's kind of weird, but I don't think the Villeneuve, you know, saying, well, you know, you never know about the future is, is wrong. It's not, it's, it's pretty accurate to me. Yeah, well, I, I think he's writing a column, right? So his job there is to be a little bit speculative and to just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. And I mean, of all people, Jacques Villeneuve was in a 97 Williams, which was incredibly dominant. And then he went to just crap cars for the rest of his career. Yeah. So, I mean, he has some insight into going from, you know, let me win and become a champion and come into F1 like Lewis did, right? In like his first season and just start winning and be like the next big guy. And then, you know, have issues later on in his career. So maybe he understands the motivation or the issues or the struggles that Lewis is going through. And he's just writing from, I think, his own perspective. He's not putting words in Lewis's mouth. And I don't think he pretends to do so. Right. I really think that this is one of the more tame things that Jacques Villeneuve has ever said or written. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, I thought some of these, interesting. some of these older retired drivers say things where you're just like, why are you talking? I don't feel like yeah. this is one of those situations. It's a little bit of a stretch at some points, but all, in general, I don't think it's something that, I'm going to get bent out of shape about. No, I mean, I think what he's done here is just say that, I mean, he even, he goes on to say that no one can see inside Lewis's head. So he, he provides that caveat. And I think he's just really, you know, saying this has been a struggle for Lewis and we did not expect this and reflecting on it. And we're all kind of talking about that right now. So yeah, I didn't see anything wrong with his quotes, but some people well, were definitely upset about it. <laughs> Shocking. Social media got upset. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what social media needs to be not upset? To be healthy. 
and we have a new partner this week. That's pretty good. It's starting this week for the next you know two months or so in Athletic Greens. Uh, if you don't have time to take a, a bunch of multivitamins and pills, et cetera, et cetera, you don't like taking them, and you want to optimize your immune system and find a supplement that actually tastes great, and you want to see what the hype is about, check out Athletic Greens. I've been trying it now for the last week or so, and it's pretty good. I'm going to you know, mix it up and, and try it with some different supplements like you said orange juice after we were recording yesterday as kind of a mixer which sounds pretty good doesn't yeah. taste like it's that super healthy green nastiness that some of these health things taste like as a mild yeah. tropical taste that i actually have been looking forward to each day with one scoop of athletic greens one you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and the word I still don't understand, adaptogens, to help start. Sounds awesome, though. <laughs> Adapting, yeah. I feel like that's like, uh, what's the trend? That's like a transformer, like an adaptogen. Yeah. The special yeah, blend like of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, and hopefully allergies too, so I can stop sneezing while we record. Uh, I'm gonna jump down here. Uh, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, et cetera, et cetera, you are safe to take it. It can, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or anything gross while still tasting good. Help you sleep better, mental clarity, and alertness will be improved, and your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which helps during these annoyingly cold April months. Less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. The Athletic Greens was founded when... Uh-oh, let me, let me start this that one over again, and we're going to leave this in there. Athletic Greens was created when the, when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover that cost over $100 a day. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company and in 2020 purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old-growth rainforests, so sustainability. Yay. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of, supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com emerging Again, athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And I promise you when I read this again next week, it won't be so bungled over. But now we can talk about Imola. Sorry, you froze for a second. If you want to talk about Imola, we can talk about it now. Yeah, I do want to. I was okay. actually just going to say that uh, I really think it's ironic that I started taking Athletic Greens from a podcast that I listened to. And now we're and reading then it. now they're a sponsor. And I love so, green so much. I'm wearing yeah. my green sweatshirt. I'm drinking a can of ginger ale, the green can. And we support our friends at Stream Evergreen as well. Absolutely. Go green. And Aston Martin, the green race cars. <laughs> They're slow, so we don't support them right now. 
We only support All you right. if you're good. <laughs> Let's review. Well, that sounds like bandwagon jumping to me. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but you're an Eagles fan, so that can't be true. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> okay. All right, let's recap our predictions and talk about this race. Um, I guess the big thing that I thought was interesting or I wanted to talk about was we saw really the first major unforced error from Leclerc in this race. Yeah. And, I mean, he was in third place, and it seemed like he was catching Sergio Perez in second place. But obviously he spun, took taking too much curb in that uh, last chicane, and ended up finishing sixth. So Max Verstappen this weekend, I think, pretty much maximized the number of points he could have gotten. Max to the max. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he he. I mean, he grabbed a lot of points back and jumped up four places in the driver's standings. So now he's, what is he? It's like 60 points back now or something? No, it's way less than that, actually. Oh. He's um, 27 points back. Okay. So he's, I mean, one win and a pole, and he's right there. Yeah. Yeah, he did what he needed to do. And, I mean, Leclerc looked like me playing F121. You hit a curb and you go spinning and... He recovered to finish sixth. I wouldn't have done that, but uh, yeah, he saved it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he minimized the impact of that spin. I think. Yeah. He got what he could out of it. I mean, listen, it happens. It's a long season. The people saying, "Oh, Ferrari, uh, Ferrari's blowing it early." We're three, four races in. Like, relax. This has been a question about Leclerc, though. I mean, he's one of those drivers who, as much as Max is someone that we see, and I don't know how to say this, pushes it to the max all the time. <laughs> we both have all these max puns this episode. Max puns. Um, I mean, Leclerc is known to be somebody who has obviously qualified on pole a lot of times, right? He pushes it to the yeah. limit, and he's got to minimize these mistakes to show that he is that championship contender. So we'll see if that's possible for him throughout the season. I think this might be enough to scare him a little bit into being more cautious and realizing that, hi, I was in third place, and maybe instead of losing three places and the points that go along with that, I should have just accepted the podium and not really tried you know, pushing over and overdriving the car. Yep. So this was also a really bad race for Spanish drivers, unfortunately, because <laughs> Carlos Sainz was out on the first lap after Daniel Ricciardo hit him, and after he had caused a red in qualifying. qualifying. Yeah, Q2, right? Yeah, 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 because he recovered during the sprint race. Right. And Fernando Alonso... I think someone hit him and damaged his side pod, and then the piece of the side pod just like flew off in the middle. I of the think race. it was when when Mick got loose after the Ricardo oh, science yeah. incident. I think he just like hit the side of Alonso and did just enough damage that eventually that yeah that piece came loose and they retired the car. I mean, I think it 
that that screws with the radiator and i'm sure they have a whole bunch of electrical systems in that side pod that yeah. make it really difficult to drive the car at that point but yeah that was not a good get ready race fans because the ultimate nascar experience is about to hit the airwaves welcome to pit pass nascar the podcast that takes you deep into the heart pounding world of nascar racing join us each week as we bring you closer to the nascar action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers team members and industry insiders so whether you're a fan of super speedways short ovals or road racing or you've just watched talladega nights pit pass nascar is the podcast you've been waiting for get ready to fuel your passion for nascar like never before subscribe now to pit pass nascar on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us launching in the fall on evergreen podcast network Follow us on social media at pass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network. Drive for them, but on the other hand, we saw Lando Norris snag a podium for McLaren. Good so for do him. We think, do we think that McLaren has kind of found their way out of the hole that they were in initially? It's looking better. Let's, you know, we're, we're coming up to championship a... <laughs> points winners, constructor, nope, like nope. I predicted. Nope, 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 nope. Definitely not going to happen. But, but <laughs> I I don't know. You have some some difficult tracks coming up, like Monaco. You know, there's Miami, which is an unknown. Monaco, Baku's got to be pretty soon. It's usually sometime after, you know, right after Monaco, a couple weeks after Monaco at least. So you've got some tough tracks coming up. So I I I don't think they're as bad as we initially thought after. Bahrain at the start of the year but I think they are I think they will battle in the Mercedes kind of mid-tier you know best of the rest type teams behind Ferrari and Red Bull I don't think they're uh, you know gonna take it to to Red Bull and Ferrari consistently here and there sure you know shit happens like Leclerc spins but in general, no, I don't. I don't think they're one two. The other major surprise I think about this race was that both Aston Martin cars got in the points. We saw Sebastian Vettel finish eighth and Lance Stroll finish tenth. So the first double points for them this season. And I want to say, I don't know when the last time they finished double points, but pretty good weekend for them after. A terrible start to the season. Yeah, um, I think it was luck. I I think it was purely luck. <laughs> um, not to be a Debbie Downer, but the red flags during qualifying definitely helped Vettel because then it started raining harder, and you know times were pretty much locked in. So he got into Q three based on that. He wasn't making it into Q three otherwise. And in the race, you know he pretty much just kept it clean. Like he did everything he could, but yes, it's complete luck. 
you know who else finished in the points and has been doing a pretty good job all season is Valtteri Botas. Yeah, he's fifth. And he looked good. Like he was making made some passes, defended well, did everything we've made fun of did everything the opposite of what we've made fun of him for for the last four years, but good for him. Maybe he just needed the psychological sure. benefit or advantage of being the number one in the team. Yeah. I'm, to maximize fine. his potential. It could be. Yeah. I, I mean, it, he's showing us that he has more talent than, well, the talent that we knew he had but had been unable to show while at Correct. Mercedes. Correct. Yeah. Which, I mean, that kind of reminds me of Nico Rosberg just talking about how hard it is being Lewis's teammate. Right, right, exactly. It's 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 a tall task because there's a lot of eyes on you every weekend, whether you do well or not. I mean, listen, Lewis, what did he finish, 13th or, or 14th? I forget exactly where. 13th, yeah. Um, you know, TV cameras were, were focused on his battle with Gasly most of the mm-hmm. race. And, you know, that goes then to saying okay where did george russell finish and i'm not comparing the two right now i really don't feel like getting into that whole debate but yeah people are making too many conclusions about that already i think yeah exactly but the the uh, the amount of eyes that are on you just because you are associated with lewis hamilton has to be complete insanity like it has to be difficult to handle demoralizing i would think yeah and i mean Sergio Perez also, this is the first Red Bull 1-2, I think, since, I don't remember what race it was, but I heard them say it was a race in 2016. It's been a while. Yeah, I remember. Melbourne 2016? I don't remember what, I heard it on the broadcast, but I can't recall. Uh, before we get to predictions, or you know, driver of the day and, and predictions and whatnot, I have a rant. Okay. The new cars, and I've kind of said this I don't know, somewhat recently. New cars are great. New cars can't pass for shit because we're still super reliant on DRS to make any sort of passing. And I know Imola is kind of an extreme example because there's only one DRS zone. I actually saw people saying that the DRS zone wasn't powerful enough. (laughs) You can't win. Remember what they were saying in Australia? Yeah. Yeah, Too many DRS zones. Too many, not enough, not powerful enough. And it just makes me hate DRS even more because, you know, it's the whole DRS versus push-to-pass system. There's no strategy. It's just get DRS, pass, make the pass, and it's e- it's easy. There's no battle. It's just you blow by the guy. It's it's not entertaining. And I thought Imola, despite having some interesting battles, by two-thirds of the way through the race, I was bored. And this was, I think... T- to me, the most boring race of the year so far. Like, it just wasn't... There's really, like, outside of, like, Leclerc spinning and you know, the intrigue behind Hamilton being stuck behind Gasly, like, wasn't that interesting at all. Like, I couldn't... And Imola's a good... I love Imola. It's just a tough track to pass, but these cars are still big. They're still completely reliant on DRS, and it's kind of a buzzkill sometimes. Do you have an issue with the fact that DRS wasn't opened up, you know, at the point where 
I mean, Crofty was going insane on the broadcast. And I know I texted you that I was getting annoyed because I think his job is to make the race more exciting. Sure. Not to complain and say like, oh, the race director is ruining the spectacle by not activating DRS. And he said that multiple times. I so, I don't have okay. an issue with it. I mean, yes, it did feel like, well, are, are they going to activate it? But at the same time, like most of the teams, you know, when they were, when the, when the dry line started to really emerge and they were saying, well, listen, the rain should be here in about 10 minutes. And obviously it never, it didn't rain again during the race. So I, I think probably the weather data that the, that the FIA and, race director was going off of was probably the same as the teams. So you're thinking, all right, it might rain soon. Let's not reinstate DRS only do pause it again in 15 minutes. So it's probably just not worth the risk at that point. If at some point they saw, okay, it's not going to rain again for an hour or two, or, you know, at the very end of the race and reinstate it for a while. Sure. Cool. And that's what they did. But it just, it just, to me, first off, it was very annoying. Second, it just proves that DRS is the only way that people can pass nine times out of ten. It's not impossible to pass without DRS because it happens, but not, I mean, definitely not at Imola. I was bored. Well, even while the race didn't have DRS, it didn't change that much for a lot of the drivers. Like, we saw Hamilton stuck in a DRS train which was just as bad as not having DRS at all, because when the car ahead of you also has it, then that advantage is nullified. So it, it has its issues, and hopefully we'll get the cars to the point where they don't need it anymore, because I think it's been around too long, and I, I agree with you 100% that it's, it's a simple way to you know, basically artificially produce passing. Yeah, and I mean, it is what it is. It's there's a need for it because otherwise there'd be no passing, but it's just, it's just not that like Sunday's race was really not that interesting to me. I don't, I'm sure the numbers will TV numbers will be fine. And the drive to survive crowd will enjoy every minute of it because DRS is God to social media, but I was bored. Okay. Old man rant over. Who was your driver of the day? I think I'm going to have to go with George Russell. Okay. Starting from 11th on the grid, coming up to 4th. I mean, I know a lot of that was due to the kerfuffle on the opening lap, <laughs> where I think he made up several places once yeah. Ricardo hit signs. But, I mean, to get a 4th place, he's had a really consistent season so far, pretty much in that 4th to, I don't know, 6th range so far. And in a car that looked as bad as it did because apparently Mercedes had to raise the ride height because they were experiencing issues with porpoising at lower yeah, speeds yeah. than they had before. They really have not figured it out. They admitted that this weekend. I heard that they just have no idea why it's porpoising at this point. So for him to drive that car up to fourth, I was impressed. I'll take Yuki Sonoda who had a dismal Imola last year, qualified 12th, finished seventh, Kept it clean, had some good battles, made passes on Magnuson and Vettel, I believe, to, to kind of get up in that range. 
so it was it's kind of one of those weekends that Yuki needed probably for some confidence heading into the the middle part of the season. All right, disappointment of the weekend. Unfortunately, and I I hate to do this, but Pierre Gasly. Yeah. I mean, he's probably one of my favorite drivers on the grid just personality-wise, and it, he I mean, he was definitely outshone by his teammate like you just said and i didn't think this was a very ghastly-esque race i am going to take daniel ricardo yeah total bungle on that move there i understand what he was trying to do but i mean those openings that opening spot at imola just just it's just not worth the risk obviously as we saw so i just thought it was an unforced error and ruined his day Obviously, DNF signs day, and you know hurts McLaren in in the in the bid for for your prediction to be constructors champions. So and my grid rivalry and your grid rivalry, one yeah. of my picks. Yeah. So predictions recap. All right. So for predictions, good weekend. I had Ocon, which that didn't happen. Nope. He finished fourteenth. That was silly. You had Sonoda, who you just chose as your driver of the weekend. So I didn't right. win that one for sure. For bad weekend, I had Russell, who I just chose as my driver of the day, so that was a complete and utter failure again. And you had bad weekend as Norris, who finished on the podium. Also so, a swing and a miss. Double fail. Surprise Q3. I absolutely knocked this one out of the park and got Vettel. I, I know. I can't believe it. <laughs> By like some pretty fishy circumstances, but I'll take it. I mean, listen, yeah, take it. Enjoy it. And you had... Zhou Guan Yu. Q2. Who, yeah. I think. Yeah, he qualified 14th. Yeah. So I failed on that one. That's fine. And then just outside the points for the, we were talking about for the sprint classification, right? When we did this prediction? Okay. So I had Alex Albon, who (laughs) was 18th. (laughs) And you had Sergio Perez, who finished third in the sprint, so I wouldn't call that outside the points. Rough weekend. A- after my Sonoda prediction, I think that was our only good one all weekend. Oh, and, and your Russell. Vettel prediction. Yeah, you have Vettel, sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. No F1 this weekend, but there is Formula E, and since we did Formula E preview, uh, a Formula E episode with Andre Lauderer, Frenchie's going to read the times in the second, and then look out for our social media for some Formula E graphics over the next, well, you've probably already seen it by the time this episode comes out. So, Frenchie, when are the, when is the race this weekend? Uh, so, actually, the reason why it's especially relevant on the F1 podcast is they're at Monaco this weekend, yes. and they're racing the exact same layout as F1. Uh, and they actually... Watch from watching the race last year, they do a pretty good job racing there because the cars are smaller and a little bit, I think, more unpredictable to drive based on the tires and lack of downforce. So it'll, it should be an interesting race. And it's actually on the big CBS network. Um, the broadcast starts Saturday um, at 1 p.m. Eastern time, but usually there's a 30 minute pre-race. So I think it's probably safe if you want to just skip the pre-race to tune in at 1.30 Eastern time. Yeah. Team no pre-race. 
Yeah, I mean that's don't care. How I do it. Don't care about pre race at all ever. No. Yeah, or post race. Nope. Couldn't care less. Anyway, now that we've been Debbie Downers, everybody have a lovely weekend of racing. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!